This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, we sit down with senior lecturer at Leeds Beckett University, Dr. Anna Stodter. She discusses her research into coach education platforms and the positive and negative effects it can have, the importance of culture and environment on coach development, and how her research has changed her as a practitioner when coaching. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. So, Anna, really appreciate you spending a bit of your Tuesday morning um, talking to to me, to us. Um, How are things your end? Are you all good? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, really good. I recently started working as a senior lecturer in sport coaching at Leeds Beckett University. Um, So I'm still settling in and um, getting into the rhythm of uh, our second semester, leading a couple of modules. So it's all go. Perfect. So I think, yeah, you managed to jump ahead kind of with what my next question would be. So do you just want to explain to people that don't know you, I guess, who you are, a little bit what you do and extension of what you just said there, but also, I guess, a little bit of some highlights of your journey to get to that point? Well, that's a big question. Um, so, yeah, as I mentioned at the moment, I'm working in higher education um, in sport coaching. So that means I teach and develop coaches or student coaches but also have a kind of research responsibility um so my research is to do with how coaches learn to coach um that research uh i did for my phd was partly funded by the fa at loughborough university and so i followed some football coaches through their uh, formal coach education um and found out the impact (laughs) on their (laughs) coaching behaviors and their knowledge um and looked at the process of how they learned um, or didn't learn, as the case may be. Um, and uh, since then, I uh, had a brief stint at Archery GB. Um, I don't know anything about archery, really, but um, that was an interesting foray into a different sport and um, was supporting coaches on their Olympic and Paralympic pathways for a year. Um, then moved to Anglia Ruskin University in Cambridge, um, where I was working as a lecturer in sport coaching there as well. Um, Coached at Cambridge University women's rugby team for seven years. Um, There, people might know that uh, at Cambridge University, their main kind of interest is the varsity match against Oxford. Um, And that was played at Twickenham. So that was a really um, sort of, it's a privilege to be involved in that kind of tradition. Um, And yeah, as I said, recently moved up to Leeds um to learn a bit more about um sport coaching and teaching and developing coaches perfect so yeah i think loads of really cool experiences for us to dive into there gonna start with a really big question um and feel to take it as you as you want to here is but in your perspective what does good coaching look like Oof, that's a huge uh a huge question um i think i would um twist it around to have that kind of learning focus really so um we can sort of use the idea of pedagogy i know that some people kind of say that obviously pedagogy is to do with adult learning um but it's kind of been more broadly applied to everyone's learning whether you think that's right or wrong that's another another debate but um 
I think that, that focus on learning um, of the players or participants um, is a, a kind of hallmark of good coaching. And then as an extension of that, coaches that focus on their own learning and continuing to improve and continuing to find out more about uh, why they do what they do um, so that they can use those things in different situations. Um, I think that's a, another hallmark of good coaching because there's not necessarily one correct way to do it. There's lots of different ways that might work in different contexts for different people. And so I think that if you focus on that learning, then that sort of helps you to navigate through that uncertainty. Yeah, I think the context bit you mentioned there is a really interesting one. Um, and I've said this before, there's loads of examples, I think, of people finding the right context or environment for them to allow them to flourish that might not necessarily work elsewhere. Um, mm -hmm. So looking at it, I guess, in, in the broadest context, what do, in your experiences or the people that you've seen, the those that have gone on to be successful in an environment, what type of care do they take in themselves in terms of trying to develop and learn what type of strategies do they use how do they um, go about allocating time yeah what does that look like from a professional or from a coach development point of view and trying to develop themselves what what do the the good coaches from your experience do in that space yeah so yeah, a good question so through my research um i followed some different coaches uh working in different clubs there were football clubs um some of them were taking part in formal coach education, but some of them weren't. And I kind of did a comparison across those two groups. But there was one club that really stood out to me that seemed like a pretty positive kind of learning environment for the coaches. Um, it was, yeah, professional club, like a sort of well-known one. Um, and I suppose from the outside, people might think that those sort of well-known football clubs have like a emphasis on sort of performance and high standards and they did but also it was a really as I said quite positive learning environment and what kind of allowed that to happen was there seemed to be a culture of the coaches working together um, kind of even if they were just coaching by themselves they would routinely kind of debrief with the other coaches in the club after the session on a kind of informal basis a bit sort of like oh I tried this today um what but what what do you think or did you manage to like look over and see a little bit of my session like what do you think of this or that or do you have any ideas that I might try out next time um and they kind of did that quite routinely so they were sharing ideas um and using each other to kind of bounce off um those ideas but also evaluate and um adapt and so from my research I ended up creating a thing called a grounded theory so a process of how the coaches learned uh, based on the on the data and the evidence um, and that it kind of matched up with some other previous research um, with uh, what they called model youth coaches um, this was by Gilbert and Trudell way back in 2001 um, they looked at how sort of top youth coaches learned to coach through experience and what I found in my uh, research really kind of echoed what they found as well and it was this process of trying things out kind of coming up with different strategies different ideas that they wanted to try in their process so experimenting with those those ideas um, and then evaluating whether it worked or not um, and then if it had worked um, they would sort of keep that thing and be able to use it again in a similar situation but if it hadn't worked being able to sort of adapt that 
tweak it, try again, rather than just sort of ditching it and thinking, oh, it didn't work. I'm not going to bother with that. Um, and obviously, if you're just doing that on your own as a coach, you only know what you know. So you've got your kind of limited amount of strategies that you can try out. And also you might be limited in how you can adapt it. Whereas if you can involve other people and even better, if they're sort of different people with different ideas, different backgrounds, then that can kind of diversify your thinking around it, help you come up with some other strategies that you might not have thought of yourself and you're making the most of everyone's experiences. So um, I would say that that kind of particular club um, was a, a good example of people doing that. Um, and yeah, on the on the flip side, I suppose it would be people working in isolation um, or just surrounding themselves with people that agree with them the whole time um, and creating a bit of an echo chamber um, to just reproduce the same practices. Because if you just do the same thing over and over again, then you're never going to get any better and we're never going to progress coaching um, and learning. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting point. I'll dive into that a little bit later because I have come across some clubs that have kind of, I guess, club-wide sessions that they all do and they kind of have some rationale behind it which is interesting but we'll, we'll touch on that a bit a little bit later on um mm -hmm. what i guess was really interesting from what you said there was around that formality to informality of the feedback because i think quite often we go oh it's got to be um you know put down a bit of paper it's got to be over a you know around the desk or something like that but it seemed like from what you've mentioned that actually there's a lot of informal discussions that probably served more purpose or was kind of a hot debrief, if you like, around what they'd done during the session and how they were feeling about it. What were the benefits of the kind of those hot debriefs or the infor more informal type feedback when they, when they were using them? Yeah, another good question. Um, I think uh, it's uh, a bit easier for the coach, isn't it? Because it's... Um fresh in your mind and it's, it doesn't take so much time but I mean I've also worked with um, when I was at Anglia Ruskin we have or uh, we had an online football coach um, kind of performance and development degree and um, I sort of applied some of the my theory to one of the modules I led on that and it was aimed to get coaches doing a bit more reflective practice develop that skill of reflective practice um, and there was a few misconceptions there with uh, these were practicing football coaches from all around the world. And they kind of assumed that reflection meant um, writing like something formal, like writing something down, um, you know, like sitting down after your session and taking hours laboriously over um, a reflection. They kind of talked about that as a formal reflection, whereas they'd also say, I don't reflect. But I think about the session the whole time on the way home and in the car. <laughs> you know, that's reflection as well. Um, so yeah, I think the benefit of um, that example in that club um, was that it was sort of happening on the fly and it was almost like a natural process, but it was allowed to happen through the environment at the club um, in that the coaches were not sort of suspicious of each other and, and they were willing to share and help each other to come up with ideas. Um, yeah, I was a, actually at a CPD event at uh, Otley Rugby Club yesterday um, with um, a guy called Martin McTaggart or Tags as he's uh, actually, he likes to be, prefers to be called, um, he works for the RFU, but he's doing a master's here at Leeds Beckett and I've worked with him on an um, online CPD kind of self-paced course that uh, rugby coaches can do. 
Um, and he was talking about how all the answers are in the room. <laughs> like the, you know, there was coaches from different clubs there. There wasn't that many people there, but there's so many people that are probably just working alongside you at the same time, same place, but we don't necessarily think to share what we're doing or, <laughs> you know, think to share the kind of issues that we're having in our practice or ideas or things that you're trying out. Um, whereas it's, you know, that's a free resource. So I suppose that's another benefit of it. It's free <laughs> um, that you could be making the most of. Um, looking at those sessions, at least when, when you were assessing them, how did they define success of the session? Because I think sometimes, you know, you can go, oh, it's the number, like if from a player perspective, number of goals I've scored might be something that a player deems that as successful. Coaching, obviously, yeah, as, a, as an art, if you want to call it that, is inherently different because you're going to probably have some aspects that flow really well and all the players are in a flow state. But that might be nothing to do with your session design. There might be another time where actually it's really high challenge and you're having to provide high support, but the actual session design itself is really good and is, you know, maybe incorporating what you wanted it to and you're getting a lot of the outcomes you, you'd address. So how did coaches go around, um, you know, assess, well, getting criteria for what success looked like within their session? Yeah, that's a, another very poignant question. And uh, in my research, they basically didn't, <laughs> um, I have to be honest. Um, they, I found it, the, with the coaches I worked with, I found it to be generally quite a kind of tacit process. So what I mean by that is they hadn't really thought through what works or what success looked like. So my, my research and other researchers found that coaches are really focused on what works they want sort of pragmatic kind of solutions um yeah things that work in their practice and um that's yeah it's a key driver of their of their learning so um that was a bit of a gray area was from the coaches that I worked with was how do they judge whether something works or not they weren't really kind of clear on that um generally it was things like oh that works well I'll keep doing it then um <laughs> Whereas I think there's definitely room for coaches to think a little bit more about that and get a little bit more detail um, there. Because if you understand why something works, then that will help you to apply it in a similar situation or work out if it's relevant to another situation that you come across in the future or not relevant. Um, and it will probably help you to adapt it better to be more effective. Um, so yeah, the, there wasn't there wasn't much in the way of um, really defining what success looked like. In the research, is there anything that hints towards that to say actually, you know, a, a gold model of this of defining success criteria has these key steps in it? Mm. That's a, a I'm not sure I can answer that one. <laughs> uh, I think there's lots of. Uh, like here at Leeds Beckett, we've been, I've been, it's been interesting. Like teaching new modules is a different way from where I was previously. And um, there's a lot of emphasis on kind of coming up with your own model of coaching or a model of um, the sport that you're coaching more accurately, probably, and then creating a curriculum from that um, and being a bit more deliberate about setting out what you're going to work on and therefore you know what 
what you want to get out of it. So something like that stuff is based on on research. Um, but I wouldn't say in terms of learning, there's uh, much that I've seen about that, but it doesn't mean to say that it doesn't exist. <laughs> no, that's absolutely fine. I think it's just a key consideration for coaches to have, right? Like if you, if you don't go into the session knowing what success looks like, how are you going to know if it's an effective session or not? Because mm. um, it can't just be on, you know, one criteria or the playing criteria because that it might actually break down Say, for example, if, if we're looking at it from a football perspective, because it's easier for me, the number of crosses going in mm -hmm. and we have a really low count, but actually that comes because the build-up play prior to that, uh, someone was really struggled and we had to provide them with loads of support. But by the end, we could see that they were trying to action some of the stuff we discussed. Whilst your end success criteria hasn't been reached, you can probably make an argument that actually during that session, you've had a high level of um success by helping one of the players develop mm -hmm. or try and develop skills so i think that maybe yeah that identifying what the success actually look like um in a couple of different facets is, is a good almost starting point start there what does it look like okay we're going to cater our session accordingly yeah so and there's also success for your players or participants and success for you as a coach like if you're working on something that you want to learn as a coach and then yeah different groups or individuals and participants as well it's uh quite a big <laughs> a big ask the coaching is really hard I was thinking about this um before sort of jumping on this call like it is uh it's a, a hard job so th there should be a bit more appreciation for um what what a, a skill it is to be to be good at it yeah I was having this conversation the other day uh, actually yesterday um i was talking to someone was saying about the skill sets that different individuals have and you listen to a radio host or you listen to or watch on the tv and you go, oh, yeah they're really really good and i pointed out to my friend i said yeah but if you ask them to cater a session for 30 children or 30 people to keep them all engaged and on task i said some people will think that's wizardry because they wouldn't know how to talk and organize and develop that many people. I said, so it's just a different skill set you have, which what you're alluding to there. Um, I guess looking at either from your research point of view, did you uh, delve in a lot into what formal qualifications were offered and how that helped develop individuals or not develop individuals or I guess the benefits or negatives of that type of stuff? Yeah, that was um, that was the main kind of driver really it was a, an evaluation of a formal coach education course um but i made sure to have a group of kind of comparison participants that weren't going through formal coach education at the same time and so from that i was able to create a process of learning that uh seemed to be happening for for all of them and it was you kind of made me think of it a little bit earlier uh, when you're talking about the different aspects of of a session and the different aspects of, of success um, in that the process was more to do with like the concepts that you come across or the ideas. Um, I kind of dislike this terminology, but like people talk about it as like nuggets or like that sort of thing, like little chunks of things that you come across. Um, so actually less important than the, kind of situation that you learned it in is that it's a an idea or a, a thing that you've come across through your experience and that might be a like a formal coach education experience but it could also be a more informal kind of discussion but when you think about it like the formal 
coach education kind of courses everyone always says like oh I learned actually most from all the chats that I had from with people informally on that course so does it then count as a formal a formal learning situation or is it an informal learning situation so yeah I think the kind of splitting it into formal and informal is helpful to help give us a bit of a language to discuss it but I don't think it's that helpful when you're thinking about what coaches actually learn from it um but anyway yeah originally it, it it was kind of set up as a project to evaluate the impact of a formal coach education course um and what I found was that coaches um did learn um <laughs> so they I was looking at their knowledge and their behavior or their practice and there were changes in coaches knowledge um that were linked to the course that they went on but I found that their practice was much more difficult to change so although the coaches that I kind of followed um over time ended up having a bit of a kind of behavioral signature almost so they each had their own kind of profile of behaviors that they or pattern that they tended to use and that was quite quite resistant to change so it was quite a, a tricky thing to change but they did know more about the things that um the course was trying to get across um so yeah they didn't necessarily they had only had minimal changes to their behavior um in the in the course in the case of the course that i was looking at um one of the main things that the course was trying to get across was like coaching through kind of game-based coaching but like setting challenges and asking supporting questions of players to get them to think about those challenges and kind of approach them um and the coaches that went on the course did change their understanding of like how to ask questions um they had a deeper understanding of those questions and they did show some sort of small changes in the types of questions they asked after they'd been on the course um so they asked more kind of tactical questions and they asked more questions of individuals so there were some small changes but it was overall quite quite difficult to change what coaches do um, which is kind of obvious when you when you think about it really because like the amount of time that coaches spend on a formal coach education course is really small compared to what they do sort of day in day out um over many years in, why, in their why normal do you, practice why do you think people are so resistant to that change hmm, good question um the so again like the the theory that came out of it um it had that kind of reflective conversation bit of it that we've already talked about but before then there was a, a kind of filter process that was going on um and that was to do with the coach's biography so their previous experiences values beliefs practices and so it's basically who you are as a person who's acting as a filter for the different learning experiences that are coming across so if that's a formal coach education course um it might be a practice that they're trying to get you to do um, and an example on this course was um the sort of playing football with like four goals so the coach one of the coach educators sort of said oh if you've got any more than two goals then it's not realistic to football so don't bother doing it it's a waste of time and you could see all the coaches almost reeling from the, the grenade that he just sort of thrown in there and they were sort of like oh, i love that four goal game where you have like the goals in the corners I think it works really well for my players getting them to switch the play or to spread it wide and so they were quite easily able to reject the point that the coach educator was trying to get across um, but 
you know that was based on their previous experiences so they had their sort of their their practices as part of their biography that they think work in their kind of context and so they were quite if you know it works then you stick to it <laughs> but yeah you know in that situation there was definitely a great opportunity for the coach developers or coach educators to then sort of explore that a little bit more and maybe question like why do you think that that practice works in what circumstances and what for and maybe look at the strengths and, and weaknesses or the benefits and drawbacks of different types of practice structure to help the coaches make sense of it a little bit more um but that didn't really happen but um I guess they're sort of limited by the time that they have on the courses and um the coach developers also have a difficult job following the kind of curriculum that they've got to that they've been told to to follow so yeah a big part of it is coaches biography so who they are their previous experiences um and then the next bit was the context so even if something they came across a concept on a coach education course for example was something that fitted in with their biography they thought oh this is quite quite good bit of info i might might try that out if they thought that it wouldn't work in their context or it wasn't relevant to their context, then they would also they were also kind of rejecting it, um, or maybe adapting it so that it might then be triable in their context, if that's even a word. Um, so yeah, the context is important as well uh, that the coaches are working in, and there was examples of coaches that um, were working in a context where they didn't have the room to experiment with new things. So that meant they were resistant to to trying it. You mentioned earlier, like an example of a club that has its kind of set way of doing things or like a club-wide practice that they, you know, a curriculum maybe that they have to do. And there were coaches that were working in those kind of environments. So they were sort of like, yeah, that's a great idea, but we have a curriculum, um, so I'm going to stick to that. Or coaches that were sort of pretty burnt out by the end of the season and just thinking, I'm just going to stick to what I know just get through to the end of the season I'm not really in an environment or a context where I feel I can sort of try new things and experiment um or coaches where they're working in a club where there's uh, a big scary boss breathing down their neck thinking what on earth is this person doing um and discouraging them from trying new things that might not work um and there's like performance pressure as well uh, so yeah loads of reasons but I kind of split them in my sort of theory or process down into biography so a biographical kind of filter and then a contextual level filter which the all the new ideas had to go through before it even got to the stage of coaches trying it out and how much did that um if if they did reject it in either of those two filters compared to those that actually had the space to be able to give these ideas a go how much over the period you work with did that negate their development as a coach the inability mm. to actually be able to give those new ideas a go, uh, a go I'm thinking like I mentioned to you earlier around the club that have a set criteria their their argument for that is that the, pra- the players are never learning the practice they're only learning the skill that mm. you're asking them to do so if it's scanning for example they know the practice so actually they don't need to worry about the practice they can focus on the scanning which whether that's right or wrong I'm I'm not sure but as a practitioner I guess your ability to do that session if you've done it for if you've been at the club for seven years and you've done that session 
every Tuesday, Thursday for seven years, you know how to run that session, but it obviously would halt your development. So yeah, how, how much did it did it negate or increase someone's capacity as a practitioner by being able to reject or, or accept those types of ideas? That's a difficult one to answer. Um, with that example that you give, like, yeah, as a player, um, I used to play rugby. Um, I kind of missed, missed that out of my um, journey, I kind of realised. But um, yeah, I'm, I've experienced that having a kind of set set of practices that you know that you can do so you don't waste time um, sort of learning to do that. You can just focus on what it is you're meant to be learning. So yeah, I can appreciate the benefits of that as well. Um, but yeah, in terms of the negating their their or limiting their learning um yeah i think it was kind of a, the context was really important and that was something that hadn't really been discussed so much in the literature before uh before my research so everyone always kind of knew that obviously who you are your starting point um influences what you learn um but there wasn't necessarily such uh appreciation of the importance of context um but it's difficult to answer because i don't yeah there weren't there it's impossible to look at coaches out of their context really um so you can't sort of compare <laughs> someone that's working in a context uh that's influencing their learning and someone that's not working in a context that's influencing their learning so yeah, you're, I can't really need, answer it. <laughs> yeah, you you need someone that jumps around a lot to see whether they keep progressing, stagnate, or drop. Maybe that might be. Uh, yeah, your, your next <laughs> next bulk of work could be on someone that leaves a club after eighteen months and keep tracking mm. their journey over four or five seasons, something like that. Well, I did. I did have a coach that um was really keen on all the things that they came across on the course and really kind of went almost all guns blazing on trying it all out but it just didn't end up working out for them because it didn't necessarily fit in the in the context so like i said uh, there was it was a club where there was a, quite a lot of other coaches kind of always loitering around watching the sort of parents watching thinking what is this sort of chaotic session that i can see in front of me and um yeah i mean that coach ended up being paired up with uh, another coach that had been at the club for sort of 10 years plus was a lot more kind of old school um clearly just to sort of keep an eye on them <laughs> and then they didn't sort of make it past the end of that season they just ended up moving on because it wasn't really the right place for them so yeah maybe it limited their learning but I'm sure they would have learned other things through that process and maybe gone on to find somewhere that was better no, or no. a better fit for them no one likes a maverick, even if you're a coach or a player, no one likes mavericks, apparently. So I guess the, the next question for me around this is how has it affected you as a practitioner, like this research or going through that process? Because obviously you mentioned you did a, a, a big block um, working at Cambridge um, and now you're in you know a, a lecturing perspective and you would have seen the coach education pathway and maybe the strengths and negatives of that but also um from seeing a lot of practitioners work in different environments so how has that affected you and in, in your workings on a day-to-day -day basis yeah it was um actually um quite um quite overwhelming <laughs> going through my level three rugby coaching um i think it's now called the advanced coaching award or something but um yeah i find that quite overwhelming in that i was obviously on the course I did it a few years ago now but I was on the course to learn 
myself um but then I found the, being on the course really interesting just from a more researcher point of view and the way that it was set up and um there came to be kind of a bit of an experience on the course where I was having to deliver a session with a group of players and the, it just got all quite there was too much going on in my mind and that was sort of trying not to analyze the course itself and the coach developers trying to analyze my own coaching and focus on trying a new thing in my own coaching um and the coach um educator sort of came up to me in the middle of my session and sort of said what's the aim of this session and I was like I don't even know I can't <laughs> I can't remember I've just got too many things flying around in my mind and then I was like oh my god that's the main thing that you need to know is what the outcome of the session is and I can't even tell them what it is um so yeah that was a bit of a um yeah an over overwhelming moment um so that's quite quite interesting even from like understanding learning theory point of view like the more sort of cognitive approaches to learning the kind of overload of uh um, when you've got too much too much going on uh, and you just sort of break down um so yeah that's one effect um but yeah I don't know I mean I've sort of used the theory um just to help st structure um some ways of working with coaches um I think it's quite useful for coach developers potentially to almost position themselves around the theory so it's kind of like a process as I've mentioned and as again I mentioned near the start um, another person can be really helpful or people can be really helpful to input into that process um, so as I mentioned I've used it to design a module to develop practicing football coaches where they have to identify something that they want to improve in their coaching um, and think about their values and beliefs and um, kind of biography around that to start with. But then the coach developer is sort of positioned then as a person that helps them to come up with some strategies that they might want to try out, maybe signpost them to um, resources to help them or, you know, in the university setting, like a, an academic piece of literature or research that might feed into a strategy that they want to then try out um, but obviously you've got the context as well so the coach developer could help them to analyze their context or think about it or think like what things might they need to change in their context to allow them to try this new thing out and then once they hopefully do get to the point of trying it out um, helping them to figure out what works and you know that idea of what does success look like is something that a coach developer could help with um, and also that process of maybe adapting it if it didn't quite work um, or adapting the thing the idea the concept the strategy so that they can try it out in their context as well so um, it might not be the context that you can change but you could change the idea so that it fits a little bit better for your, your context so yeah that's how it's kind of sort of changed the way I think or that's how I use it in my own kind of day-to-day -day. um yeah <laughs> yeah and how how does that work for maybe sports that you're less familiar with or you're you know working with someone who you're less familiar with their, their sports so I don't know um at Leeds if um you, how broad the spectrum the, the coaching thing is I know the course that I did um when I was at university we had you know BMXs to snowboarders to rugby to football to netball to and obviously the the lecturers would be 
maybe strong in some knowledge base but not so much in others and you mentioned obviously some of your your stops earlier on um i think with, with archery etc so how um do you go around challenging individuals on their context when maybe you're not as knowledgeable in that space and but still giving them the opportunity to assess it from their more extensive knowledge yeah i think it is an important question to ask about the generalizability or you know to what extent can you transfer this research to other contexts other sports um so it came from football as i've mentioned um and i'm not claiming that it's a process that or a theory that all coaches go through um because it's based on evidence from that that context or that environment and that type of coaches so i'd say it's applicable to coaches of a particular level of sort of between level two and level three in that ukcc sort of money um and working in sort of yeah football sort of centers of excellence uh, academies etc so it's definitely relevant to those kind of coaches because that's where the, the data came from um but i have found that it's quite um like people see some sort of relevance to them in other contexts and other sports and that kind of resonates with them um so it has some kind of it i hope that it still can be used across other sports to help people just think about whether they agree with it or not um, and maybe sort of walk themselves through the process to see if it helps them um so yeah it's an important question to ask like <laughs> how how sort of generalizable is it um but yeah i have found that it's quite useful across sports because you're not really focusing on the sport itself um you're focusing on your learning as a coach and your practice as a coach um which has uh there's a sameness in our uniqueness as a kind of quote that I steal from uh lyle and cushion um 2010 <laughs> i quite like it in that um obviously coaching looks different in different contexts but you can still tell that it's coaching um so i think that there's relevance when we focus on learning of the athletes or of the coaches um to kind of be relevant across different sports and different contexts um and yeah if i'm working with people from a sport that i don't know anything about then obviously the the knowledge about the sport comes from them i wouldn't uh, aim to aim to sort of inform them about anything that i don't know about it's um yeah, again, the focus on learning is something that I can help with. And when you're looking at it from a process point of view, how do you encourage individuals? Uh, we hear this a lot, particularly in American sport because of the Philadelphia 76ers, but trust the process in terms of, you know, we're working along this journey of trying to get you from maybe not having thought about your planning or not thought about reflection or you've been very well if I do formal education that's the only thing important to a point where actually there's a multitude of ways that you can develop yourself as a practitioner and actually you could purely have someone on the sideline who is a mentor of yours that just comes in and challenges you around the session how do you get individuals to trust that process um, and not understand that you're going to get everything overnight and that it might take you years upon years upon years to get to the end point but you know that there will be success along the way etc mm. yeah I mean I, I haven't really 
worked with anyone over a process of years and years and years um and that's the limitation of like coaching research other than um Darren Watts who's at Loughborough has done he's got a really cool uh study that followed up with coaches 10 years after they started and found out what they'd learned but that's that kind of thing's pretty rare um so yeah I'm not I'm not really sure but one thing from the theory that might be useful in that respect is um there was a way to kind of circumvent the biographical filter by basically um showing coaches that it would the thing that you wanted them to learn would work in their context so it was kind of like a seeing is believing uh, kind of shortcut almost so the coaches were talking about if they could see a new idea working in their context then they would be much more likely to just give it a try um regardless of whether it maybe contradicted their initial sort of beliefs um values etc so that's one sort of more practical tip that might be helpful um but yeah over a longer period of time that's something we don't really know loads about i think that's an interesting point particularly i guess for people that are maybe hiring and looking at the seniority of staff thinking about who you hire in those and i'm going to put inverted commas senior positions if you have someone that is willing to give stuff a go or is willing to you know be reflective or creative all those types of things then because people are seeing it in that context they then will believe it in the context whereas if you have someone that maybe is more traditional it may be far more challenging for a you know a creative reflective coach to come into that environment if they're what they're seeing isn't that because they're like well actually I'm you know I'm the under 10s coach the under the head of phase of this doesn't like that so I'm just going to toe the line rather than you know being in that environment which is a really interesting one um I guess looking now for you as a, as a coaching practitioner, if you like, you mentioned the, the rugby stuff earlier on. Um, obviously, we've mentioned a lot around context here. When you walk into that environment and you're going, right, obviously I'm, I'm coaching I'm coaching this, this rugby team, how do you begin to establish what the context environment is and maybe then to where you want it to be over, you mentioned seven years, but yeah, I guess you, you, we've mentioned a lot around context. How do you begin to establish what that context is when you first go into an environment? Because you would have done it recently in the lecturing role, but obviously from a coaching perspective, you would have had to have done it then as well. Mm, yeah. <laughs> no one's ever asked me that. <laughs> um, uh, I suppose it's just through, you know, observing like being there and um experiencing it um soaking it up like I'm quite a um sort of introverted person really like, like to sort of sit back and observe and see see how things are before I jump in and say too much or do too much so I know in, in coaching obviously sometimes you don't have that luxury and you have to get on and do stuff <laughs> um, but yeah I think it's just over time and um even just more deliberately thinking about it. So again, uh, through like level three, one of the things that was quite a useful task was like mapping out who are the key people in that context. That's one way to sort of do it. Um, like almost thinking about, um, obviously you can't necessarily have like who's got power. It's not really like everyone's got power, but like the almost mapping out the different power relations Um and thinking about your relationship with them or like who you want to sort of 
bring closer to you to, to work with more or who do you want to maybe distance yourself from a little bit so that's one way to to do it um I haven't done that in my in my lecturing role <laughs> maybe I should uh, it seems quite Machiavellian really but um, I did do it from my previous coaching role it was quite an interesting um exercise I guess it's an interesting point you made there as well as it and I'm similar to you I'm more of an observer I like to take in the picture and then kind of act accordingly but as coaches you can't do that because if mm. you've got 30 people sitting in front of you that want a session you can't stand back and go well you figure it out I'm just going to watch you all for a bit you kind of need to deliver something um so I guess it's that ability to have multiple hats on isn't it being able to actually put on a session but then to also be able to say I'm going to put on a session that maybe I know at this point to see what outcomes I get from the players and then maybe be able to under understand and analyze the context from there um which i think is an important one you mentioned earlier on around the the build-up to those big games <laughs> sorry <laughs> you're good um you yeah you mentioned earlier on around obviously oxford cambridge which is mm. a really big deal um for, for anyone in the uk they probably watched a boat race year on year even if you don't watch um any that type of sport for the rest of the the year um what does it look like in terms of preparing for that as a practitioner how do you go about you know making sure that you're happy with the preparations you're preparing yourself and then preparing your team accordingly because I can imagine emotions run high and it's really easy to get over aroused or you try and pay it down too much and kind of under aroused so how as a practitioner you do you prepare yourself and the team for that kind of one-off really high scale event yeah it was really interesting thing to be part of um and I, I think I have to um acknowledge um the the head coach uh, that was working there the whole time I worked there was um, Jack Baird um, kind of had built up over time quite a lot of experience of doing it and um, again um, Ian Minto was there as well he's a bit of a bit of a legend like an older guy that has a lot of wisdom um, you know sort of great story time from the 70s and 80s of being involved in rugby but um, by the sort of sixth seventh year of working together as a three like we built up quite you know six or seven goals of of doing it um so I think a lot of it just came from kind of those experiences um and we got pretty good at um it's an interesting kind of context as well of women's rugby uh women's university rugby where maybe women might not have had the opportunity to play a sport like rugby before and so they sort of turn up having never had never played it maybe seen it before but not necessarily played it or played even in a team before and we got pretty good at actually accelerating some people were able to get from having never played to playing you know at Twickenham HQ within like six weeks basically so um yeah it was just a sort of through experience but um just like constant kind of reviewing and checking in I think um so I think Jack it was probably quite annoying for some of the players but Jack always had a bit of a idea of like who his team was going to be like what it was going to look like a com like different combinations and obviously that would change sort of week to week but it um he sort of had that picture in his mind fairly early on and would be we'd be continually sort of revising that and reviewing it and seeing how we're getting on um and there was you know a couple of years where it didn't go so well there was one year where we lost 
it was 3-0, which is a ridiculous score for rugby. That's a football score, not a rugby score. Um, but I think it was actually a really good thing because it meant um, sort of lots of introspection happened, lots of changes um, happened from the way that we maybe didn't go about it um, in the best way. Like someone, one of our players at the scrum half got injured like the week before the varsity match and um, the kind of managing that injury and like working out if she was going to be fit to play or not happened too late um so then we had to make lots of changes like the night before the match and it just really unsettled people and it didn't didn't end very well so we made sort of changes um after that um so yeah i think it's just through again lots of cycles of uh of experience and like people have probably heard that thing of like you know is 10 years of experience just like one year repeated or are you actually learning from from your experiences by continually sort of reviewing it reflecting it and when you have that team of people as well, like benefiting from each other's experiences to feed in and um, harness the power of those, the the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And how do you uh, not chuck out the baby with the bathwater? I use an analogy there, but, you know, you're doing that review process. It could be very easy to go, right, we're going to rip everything up and now we're going to change our entire um our entire way and, and demographic demographic of doing stuff. But in reality, you're probably majority of the way there. It's just fine-tuning certain aspects. So how during that review process are you making sure that actually you're acknowledging the good bits of work that are going on and then are then willing to obviously adjust the bits that maybe have been more challenging? Yeah, that that saying is a, a Chris Cushion-ism. <laughs> he uh, was my PhD supervisor. He has some good good sayings and he likes that one as well <laughs> um it's uh i find it quite a uh, quite a sinister one really <laughs> throwing yeah. the baby over the bathwater but anyway um i get what you mean uh so i suppose it's just again like bringing in different sources of information to help you decide what's important or what's not um like you know feedback from the players uh feedback from other people involved in the club like director of rugby um you know thinking about it separately and then coming together as I said um Ian Minto he had so many 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 years of experience so uh he was really useful because like <laughs> he was great like anything you come across you sort of mention it and he was like oh yes yeah that always happens or that happened in 1982 or whatever <laughs> and so um that's a good uh good resource to draw up on um, when you're trying to fall back on what's important but I suppose as a coach as well, if we're bringing it back to sort of biography, you might want to think about your own values um, to act as a bit of a guiding principle there to how you think, you know, what what is important. And also there's um, another thing is in research, looking at sort of really successful coaches spend a lot more time thinking about um, setting the issue um, rather than trying to solve it. So rather than like, more novice coaches evidence seems to suggest they tend to go straight towards solution um more experienced uh, coaches more successful coaches seem to spend a lot more time really analyzing what the what the problem is or what the kind of issue is before they then sort of work out what sort of things they could try out to to solve it um so there's a few things there yeah i guess having a greater understanding of what you're actually you know yeah what what you're facing what the challenge is before kind of just trying something out unnecessarily um yeah really interesting point uh, listen Anna, i'm conscious 
of the time and what we allotted for this because it is flown by but um last question for me in which is in three words how would you like your fellow practitioners students etc to describe you and why me yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a good question you could have given me some warning on that one <laughs> i'm gonna have to think about it um i hope um so i suppose uh, i'm thinking of like as a coach um for my players uh i hope that they think that i've got like good input to to share i can't think of one word that actually describes that so like but there's been times where you know i don't really say i don't really say much <laughs> um and i know that sometimes people misinterpret that as a uh, like almost a bit intimidating I don't mean to be like that I want to what I do say to actually be worth saying um so maybe like shrewd does that is that yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, that what... yeah I mean <laughs> shrewd it could be one um I think I hope kind I think it's important to be kind um because uh a lot of people have a really bad experience taking part in sport and being coached and um I don't really want to be part of that <laughs> um it's meant to be fun <laughs> so i hope kind or something along those lines um and something to do with like one of my values is to do with like potential so um i didn't really talk about uh my rugby journey but basically i took it up in my sort of mid-20s quite late and ended up playing internationally when I never thought that I would represent my country at anything really so um, it was a bit of a, a surprise but it was a pretty cool journey to be part of um, like realizing that I had some potential to do something I never never sort of realized or thought that I would do so um, that's one of the things I that's one of the reasons why I'm in, into coaching and um, into learning as well because I think it's a great way to sort of help realize potential <laughs> um, so I can't think of a word to, to summarize that either, but uh, no, that's sorry, fine. I failed the task. No, no, you're all kind good. Of spring it on me. <laughs> as I say to everyone, I'm more interested in, in the why than necessarily the words, because I think, it, as you said, it, it aligns to people's values quite a lot of the time. When I ask that question, what what mm -hmm. they believe or what they believe a good practitioner looks like, a good player, a good person, etc. So I think those are obviously aligned quite nicely to the, quite the common themes that we've had throughout this this episode so yeah, listen really appreciate your time i think a fascinating insight into how coaches can better themselves and look to obviously develop themselves into, into better practitioners wherever you are along the scale of coaching so really appreciate your time and catch up with you again soon thank you um yeah it's been a pleasure and if anyone wants to get in touch and discuss further then they're welcome uh, you'll find me on on twitter um <laughs> or email and uh, i hope you enjoyed the soundtrack of barking and <laughs> howling <laughs> it's all good it keeps it more interesting than my dulcet tones for the entire episode anyway so listen really appreciate your time and catch you again soon thank you Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.